So if you've been here in the last couple months, you realize that we're in the book of James. And for those of you who haven't been here in the couple, last couple of months, we're, we've been in the book of James, and so now you're caught up to speed, more or less. But the book of James is big on the idea that, that what we know, that what we hear, leads for us to put it into practice. And, and, and James makes the argument, essentially, that if what you're hearing, if what you're knowing doesn't work itself out in your life, if it's not being put into practice and he beats this drum over and over again, it's worthless. It's not doing you any good. It's just knowledge. It's just stuff. Well, today we're going to look at James chapter 3 and verses 1 through 12. And the argument that James is making through this somewhat lengthy stretch of Scripture is that what we say, our speech, is an indication of our spiritual maturity. Those things that we say, those things that that we just allow to just shoot out of our mouths or an indication, James argues in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, of our spiritual maturity. So let me read this for us, and then we'll, we'll begin to work our way through the first half of the third chapter. James says, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if any of you does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James is entering in this discussion uh, about the tongue. But he starts in kind of an interesting place. He starts with, with who? With teachers. James starts with teachers. Now, when we read that, our, our mind goes to, well, for you, it goes to me. For me, it, 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 it goes to me too. And so it goes to the people that we see in front of us, those people that are teaching the Bible, right? So you're thinking pastor. And so first two verses, you check out. You're checked out for the first two verses because you see teacher and you say, I'm not. And, and so you check out. Let me, let me tell you that this is so important for you. This is radically important for you. Because it's not just isolating me up here, it's, it's, it's isolating anyone who does any type of teaching. James is talking about, he's talking about teachers in general. So those that teach, you're, you're teaching your children. Those that teach, you're teaching a Sunday school class. Those that teach, you're working in CR. Those that teach, those that espouse wisdom and try and pass it on to others. But especially, especially, he keys it in on on those who would stand and speak in the place of God, those who would communicate the Scriptures. And so James' word, he says, hey, look, 
not many of you, not many of his audience should, man, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. James has obviously never tried to recruit Sunday school teachers. James has obviously never tried to get anybody to come speak at anything. When you start off that way, hey, look, not many of you should come to church next Sunday. You guys are like, sweet, I get to sleep in. That's one more thing off my plate. James, in some ways, it's a little bit shocking that he would start that way, is it not? It seems that he's trying to discourage people. But the point that he makes is, for, for we, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, is James making the argument that, that teachers are the only ones that are going to be judged? No. No. He says teachers, those that teach, those that speak on behalf of God, will, will be judged with greater strictness. I want us to flip over really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul has an interesting thing to say about this type of judgment. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, which you'll remember from a week or so ago, is just this disturbed body with every type of perverse sin going on. And Paul writes to them, and in the third chapter, starting in verse 11, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. He is absolutely the foundation of our salvation. We have salvation in him and no one else. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Agreed? And so he goes on from that. He says, but this is your foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. So those things we do in life, those things that we go about and as we grow and as we continue to invest in our spiritual development, those things Paul separates into precious stones, precious metals, and then wood, and he's moving down the list of things that are of less value. He says these things will become manifest for the day will disclose it. It will make it known because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Guys, there is coming a day when we will stand before a holy God and he will bring holy fire down on the work that we have done. And he'll reveal every selfish motive, every bit of selfishness that's been in your life, every concealed sin that you thought you so carefully held back from everybody around you. God will test that with fire and it will be revealed for what type of work you have done. And in verse 14, he says, if, if the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, the argument James is making isn't that everybody else gets to escape, escape judgment except for those that teach. The point James makes is those that teach are responsible to a greater degree than those that don't. But everyone, everyone is responsible for the work they do growing up to spiritual maturity. Growing up to spiritual maturity. And so that should give you pause. When you hear someone speak, you should be evaluating it according to what you find in the Bible. You don't just listen to people speak and say, well, somehow this guy got himself on television, so what he says must be true. <coughs> Well, this guy got himself a, a, a large church, so what he says must be better than what the guy says that's in the small church. You see, it doesn't work that way. It quite simply doesn't work that way. You need to be testing those things that people say. 
You need to be probing at the edges of what you hear taught and comparing it to the true word of God. We always listen with, with minds engaged and ears open. So he says that not many of you should be teachers because you know you'll get judged for greater strictness. Then he goes on, verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. James says, if anyone doesn't stumble, he's perfect. Now, the word James used here for stumble, what James is trying to communicate, he says, essentially, if anyone doesn't sin, he's perfect. There's only been one who didn't sin, and his name was Jesus. But James makes the argument that this is the ideal this is what we aim for. We aim not to stumble in any way. And James says, this person who is able to do this, they have full control over their body. They, they, they're able to bridle the body and they're able to, to live in such a way that is without sin. And James says, this is the ideal. Now it's interesting because he starts here as the ideal and now he's going to work it out and he's going to show us the difficulty of living in this way. And I'd say the impossibility in some ways of living this way. Now in 3, 4, and 5, James begins to give us different metaphors for the tongue. He gives us some different ways of thinking about it. He says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You know, you remember that James used the same type of imagery back in 126. He used the same type of idea of putting the bit in the mouth and, 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 and moving it and twisting it the way that we wanted to. But here he applies it again to the horse and he says that if you have this small thing in the mouth of a horse, you're able to control the whole thing. And so he moves from the horse and he moves quickly to the boat. <coughs> he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirate direct the pirate, the pilot directs. Or the pirate. I suppose. I suppose if someone were a pirate and they were controlling the rudder, they too. You know, that's not the worst thing that, that I could have said. Anyone who has their hand on the rudder can direct this ship however they want to. And if you've ever seen a rudder in comparison to the size of a whole ship, it is, it is tiny. It, it, it's almost insane how small this thing is in proportion to the overall size of the ship. And this person is able to exert force by pushing to the right or to the left and to guide the ship even in the face of tremendous wind. Even in the face of tremendous onslaught. Now, when we look at this and we look at the case of the horse, if a person gets on a horse and they have the horse bridled, they have it saddled, and they grab the reins, and they let them go slack, What's going to happen? The horse is going to do whatever it wants to do. It's going to say, hey, look, I don't really notice you. You're not aggravating me. You've got spurs. I hear them dangle, but you're not digging them in, and you're not pulling either way. I'm going to do what I want to do. If I want to stand here, I'm going to stand here. If I want to run, I'm going to run. If I want to throw you off, hey, that's fun for me, not for you. Now, th now the ship is doing the same thing. If that pilot's back there, and he's engaging in conversation with his buddy, and his buddy says, what's that? He says, it's a rudder. What's it do? It controls the ship. Are you going to hold it? No, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to let the ship make up its own mind. Wind comes along. Wind pushes the ship. Wind steers the ship. Wind drives it wherever it wants to. If we're not taking 
a direct approach, if we're not taking and applying energy to controlling our speech, it's going to run amok. It's going to control everything. It's just going to, everything that we think is going to spill out of our mouths. Everything that we, we see we're going to offer commentary on. We have to be exercising control. But we can't just do it as a motive of our will. And James is going to reveal that to us in a second. We can't just do that because we want to. We can't just, in and of ourselves, control those things that we say. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Just like the the bit in the mouth of a horse is small compared to the overall size of the horse, and the rudder is small compared to the overall size of the ship, so the tongue is small compared to the overall size of the body. James has been making comparisons of smaller and greater. He says, but it boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. This idea that, that, that our tongue can get us in a great deal of trouble. You've heard the saying that your, your mouth is writing checks that your body simply cannot cash. Our mouths have the ability to do things, to say things that there's no way to substantiate in the body. James goes on and he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You'll remember a couple of years ago there was a, a tremendous, I mean, Texas is just kind of engulfed in flames around the you know, Possum Kingdom area and then around where I'm from in the Magnolia area. Now, the fire in the Magnolia area, which burned thousands of acres, uh, hundreds of homes, and, and destroyed immense amount of properties, when they tracked it back, was started at a family barbecue. There was a guy, and he was out barbecuing, and, and the flame got away from him. And it said immense damage. This wasn't some type of control burn that got out of hand. This was, this was a barbecue. I mean, this is somebody grilling up some burgers and some, and some sausage, some steaks maybe, pork chops if you're into that type of thing. And it got away from him. And it wreaked immense damage. See, when we're not continually exercising control over the tongue, it can wreak. It, it can wreak such immense havoc and destruction. And it seems like it just gets away from us. We tell one story to one person, and the next thing we know, we're talking to to Joe over here, and Joe says, well, hey, I heard from so-and-so, and and our mind's just reeling because we're trying to remember the story we told this person over here. And we're just hoping the details line up. You see, if we're not speaking in truthfulness, if we're not speaking in love, then we're going to go crazy trying to keep up with the details of those things that we've said and those things that we have told others, which which are likely not true in that case of the person who's so paranoid. In verse 6, he comes right out and says it. See, he's kind of hit around using metaphor, using simile, but in verse 6, he says it directly. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now, in verse 6, James doesn't have very many positive things to say about the tongue, does he? He starts off, he says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Man, this gives us the, the picture that I mean, my tongue is an enemy. My tongue is, is working against me. James is really trying to, to point at the severity and the importance of being careful with what we say. He says the tongue is on fire. We have to be careful what we allow it to come in contact with, how we allow it to be used, because it can set fire to those things around us. He says your tongue is a fire. 
It's a world of unrighteousness. It is opposed to God. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. We see that our tongue is used by the devil. Guys, that our, that our tongue is used by the devil, it is set on fire by hell. And he says, it's, it's set in and among your members. Your tongue is a part of yourself. I don't know how many of you have tried to remove your tongue for an afternoon, but it's, it's a difficult thing. It's kind of slippery and, and nasty, and you grab a hold of it, and just as soon as you think you've got it, it slips back in your mouth. I don't encourage you to try that. Your tongue is, is intimately a part of yourself. It is in and among your members, and when used incorrectly, it is setting on fire your entire course of life. It's destroying friendships. It's destroying marriages. It's, it's telling children you're not good enough, you're not worthy of love. Why do you keep engaging in this type of behavior? Parents that are divorced are, are tempted to say you're just like your mother. And it gets stuck in the child's mind, dad left mom. Or, or conversely, when a husband talks to his wife and he allows these things to spill out because in his mind she should have eternal forgiveness for him. And so he allows these things to spew forth. A way that he wouldn't speak to anyone. Because in his mind, she should continue to forgive him. You see, if left unchecked, our tongues can inflict untold damage on those that are supposed to be the closest to us. Because we feel like when we get around our wives, when we get around our children, when we get around our, our in-laws, when we get around our employees, that we should be able to engage in whatever type of conversation we want, and they should always forgive us. But the reality is that our tongue is wreaking untold havoc. That our tongue is, is burning down our house around us because we have refused to restrain it. We have refused to restrain it. And the interesting things, friends, as we look at James one twenty seven. In James one twenty seven, James says that we need to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says, you know, you need to put off all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and keep yourself unstained from the world. It's this idea that the world is working against us. This world is exerting influence on us as we go to work, as we watch TV, as we go to Walmart, as we go get our oil changed. We have all of these things that are, that are impacting and working against us. And James says, put those things off. But here he points to the tongue. And he says, your tongue is staining you. Your tongue is working sin in your life. I mean, it's this, this horrid idea that something so intimate, so a part of us, is working against us. It's set among our members, staining the whole body. You see, it's not just outwardly that it impacts us, but it's also inwardly that it impacts us. It's staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And then James flips. In verse 7, he shows us, he says, hey, look. Everything that man has come up against, he's been able to overcome. When you look at taming things, he says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. James is making a reference to Genesis 126. 
that God created Adam, that he put him in the garden, and he gave him dominion over everything. And man has done that, man has done well. But he makes this point. He says in verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says, hey, look, no human being can tame the tongue. Now, this is, this is difficult. You'll remember that James said in verse 2 that if any man is able to bridle the tongue, that he is a perfect man, and he doesn't stumble in any way. And then here in verse 8, James says that no human being can do this. James is pointing at a couple of different things. One, I believe he's making a veiled reference to the person of Jesus. I believe that James is making the point that Jesus lived a perfectly and a sinless life. He did not stumble in any way, and he did not have a slip of the tongue at any moment. I believe, secondly, that in terms of of, of himself, that he is pointing at our need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. He says that no person can tame the tongue. He does not say that God cannot help you in what you say. But friends, if, if all you ever do is, is enter into a polite thing and say, God, please help me not to say these types of things, but you never dedicate yourself to the study of your word, if you never deal with the sin issue in your life that causes you to speak with such hatred and such haste and such malignancy to those around you, this problem will not be relieved. See, I believe that God answers prayers, but God is honored when we engage in efforts to study His Word. God transforms our hearts when we apply ourselves to the careful study of His Word. And when we study His Word, and when we see how His Word would have us be, He is changing us from the inside out. And His Holy Spirit comes in, and He enables us to better govern what we say. He enables us to better govern how we treat others other people with our speech. He says, no human being can can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see, it's the fact that, that our tongue resides in a part of us and that it is just moments away from spewing out something that could ruin every relationship in our lives. That our tongue is just moments away from from ruining and and impacting somebody in such a great degree. It's this idea that our tongue is full of deadly poison. We must exercise tremendous control over what we say. We must issue and, and, and exert tremendous control over how we talk. And then he points at an incredible hypocrisy. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brother, these things ought not be so. So we read in Proverbs 18, 21, speaking of the tongue, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, our tongue gives us a tremendous ability He says, with the tongue you praise, you sing to God. Moments ago, we were singing about leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Moments ago, we're singing about the great I am. Moments ago, we're engaged 
and worship before God. Moments ago, we prayed together. Moments ago, we sang worship to God. But this morning, probably for many of you, this, this last week, for those of you who aren't guilty of it this morning, there are things you said, text messages you sent, Facebook posts you made, and tweets you sent out that give evidence to the fact that you're cursing those around you. You're saying awful things about those around you and you're doing so. We have the ability now because of all our various ways of communicating to do it in so many different ways. We can assault people through the mail. We can assault people through email, through text, through Facebook posts, through private Facebook message. I mean, there are so many ways that it has become so much more difficult for us. Because we're not just looking to govern what we say. We're looking to, to govern how we communicate in, in, in a total way. And so it governs not only verbal communication, written communication, but even electronic communication. That we need to be careful because these people, James makes the argument, he gives them the highest compliment. He says they are made in the likeness of God. And you'll remember from reading earlier as we studied in Philippians that that when we assault an individual, we don't assault them, but we, we affront their creator. James is making the point that you cannot praise God, or you should not praise God and curse people, because when you do that, you're working against God. James is trying to point at the, at the difficulty in our life and how our lives are somewhat schizophrenic, that we think that we are able to praise God and then talk however we want to about those around us, especially those we don't agree with. And so then verses 11 and 12, he gives us impossibilities. He says, does salt water pour forth from a fresh water spring? No. He's looking for no answers to all these. He says, can, can a frig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. What type of fruit do you get from a frig tree? Figs. What type of, of, of uh, product do we receive from a grapevine? Well, not figs, apparently. And he says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is making the argument that we're going to work, we're going to produce in accordance with what is inside of us. And James has already made the point, he says, for many of us stumble in many ways. The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You see, our tongue those things that, that are outside the world have impacted us to such a great degree that they spill forward in what we say. James paints the picture that we need to dedicate ourselves to repeatedly studying this word. We need to dedicate ourselves to careful meditation on the things of God. We need to dedicate ourselves to working against idle chatter. See, there's a few ways we do that. One of the ways is, is personally, and so you would set out and you personally say, I'm going to engage myself, I'm going to study God's Word so that I can be transformed, I'm going to study God's Word so that it becomes more part of my life. But one of the benefits of being in a church, one of the benefits of membership and of doing life together is we are to hold one another accountable. Hebrews says that we are to spur one another on to good works, that we are to carefully investigate one another for the purpose of spurring one another on to good works. And when we do that, 
when we see our, our, our brother and sister in Christ step out and we see them engaged in behavior that is referred to as cursing, when we see them engaged in anything that is not uplifting or edifying, in love, we call that person out. We don't tolerate it. We don't just laugh it off and say, man, I, <laughs> I wish they hadn't said that or this makes me so uncomfortable. We call them out on it. When you, when you hear gossip, when you hear these types of things, you ask the person, what do you suppose I should do? How do you suppose I should act on that information? Now, have you told so-and-so about this? Do you know this to be true? How is what you're about to tell me or what you just told me going to help me to better pray for this person and to better serve them? And friends, if we don't get good responses back from that, we just politely say, hey, look, I can't hear it. I can't tolerate it. And as lovingly but as forcefully as I can, I'm telling you, you need to repent. It's going to be painful. It's going to be awkward. But if left unchecked, the tongue doesn't just destroy a person's life. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of a person's life. The tongue will burn down everything around you. In the tongue, we see blessings and cursings. And in the tongue, we see both life and death. We need to speak to those around us in such a way as to to lead to life. We need to speak to those around us in such a way as to edify them. We need to speak to those around us in such a way that we could nurture them. See, Jesus had this to say about the tongue. He says, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. The tongue is an indication of spiritual maturity. Friends, today I want us to think about, I want us to evaluate those ways that we have spoken this week. When you evaluate them and they begin to reveal to you your level of spiritual maturity, what is God calling you to do? How might God be calling you to strengthen your walk? Or calling on you to rely on those around you for encouragement, for rebuke. What is God saying to you about your level of spiritual maturity as revealed by those things that you've said? Let me pray for us.